Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Read with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. 90% of startups fail. Harvard Business School professor Tom Eisenman has, for the last 24 years, led a required course for all Harvard MBAs. It's called the Entrepreneurial Manager. And yet, even though many of his students turned founders have become enormously successful over the last 10 years. 19 Harvard Business School startups have achieved unicorn status. That's valuation of at least a billion dollars. You might recognize names like Stitch, Fix, Cloudflare, Zynga, but many other businesses, some of which Professor Tom Eisenman himself has invested in, have failed. So in his latest book, Tom analyzes the reasons why startups fail for lessons that we can use to power our own startup success, perhaps, or even to bounce back from failure. And I think the book also gives us an interesting lens as investors to figure out which companies seem likelier than others to fail. So the book that we're reading this morning is The Fail Safe Startup. Time to welcome Harvard Business School professor Tom Eisenman. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for joining us. So most people want to look away from failure. Why have you decided to decode failure instead? Well, um, it, it's really because I discovered that I was a failure at explaining failure. And if, as you say, 90% of startups fail and you're an entrepreneurship educator, it's really one of the most important things in your field. And if you can't explain it, it's a problem. So um, and in particular, I had a team, um, this goes back about eight years, um, that I thought was just terrific. Um, I, I coached them when they were at school, and they launched the business after they graduated and uh, did everything I taught them. Um, they, they tested their idea. It was an apparel company. Mm-hmm. And um, I invested in the company, and yet they still failed. And I, I could point to a lot of reasons why, maybe, mm. uh, but I couldn't pinpoint the cause. And, and that set me out on a quest. And it also, it hurt so badly them, um, I mean, me a little bit, but them tremendously. And so I resolved to do everything I could to figure out why startups fail, uh, were there patterns, if there were, could they be spotted and avoided? And then uh, if you did have to fail after you did your best, is there a way to reduce the pain and at least learn something from it? Fascinating. So how do you define failure? Because we know that means different things to different people and and different companies as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, A a lot of people would think the business has to shut down. But, you know, there are some businesses that are just projects. And a movie, when you make a movie, um, it has a natural life, right? You stop shooting, everybody goes in a different direction. Mm. So shutdown isn't the right measure. Um, Bankruptcy is not the right measure um, because um, uh, the, the, the measure I use in, in the book is investors didn't make money or never will make money. And so a company can go bankrupt and still survive, um, but the investors will never get their money back. Mm, all right. Now, help us understand the six patterns that your book uncovers that explains the failure of startups around the time of launching and scaling, right? So can we look at some of the patterns that hobble early stage startups at launch? Yeah, there's three, three patterns uh, in the early stage. This is a, 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 a startup in the first few years and three more in the later stage. So the early stage patterns are 
a good idea, but bad bedfellows, sort of uh, a, a bad team. If we de- define the team not only as the founders, but the other members uh, of the management team, uh, plus outside investors, plus many companies, many startups will work with partners, bigger companies that provide distribution or technology. And sometimes a, a, an entrepreneur, this is the company that I mentioned before, the, mm-hmm. the apparel company, has a good idea, but they can just never assemble the right team. And, uh, and as a consequence, um, they can't exploit the good idea they have. So that's, that's one pattern. A second I call a false start. So if, as, as in, say, track and field or swimming when the athlete um, jumps the gun, literally jumps the gun, same thing here, an entrepreneur so eager to build and sell the product, uh, they just get started right away and they don't spend enough time before they start the engineering work to figure out, have I really got a problem um, worth solving, uh, a strong, unmet customer need, and do I have the right solution? There's always many ways to solve a problem. Have I, have I found the right solution to this problem? And, and entrepreneurs have a bias for action. They want to get going, and they skip that step. And as a result, the first product is likely to miss the mark. And maybe they've raised um, one year's worth of capital or they have that much saved. They're going to bootstrap the business. And if you waste the first four months on a failed version of the product, you can start over, you can pivot, but your your odds of failing are, are that much greater because you've, you've wasted one-third of your time. And then the third pattern is a false positive. We're all thinking about COVID testing, so exactly the same, <laughs> right? right? It's, uh, it, it's, it's a signal um, from your early adopters that this is going to be great. This is an enthusiastic response from the early adopters. But it turns out that the, the demand from the mainstream customers, from the customers that will come on later and hopefully in larger numbers, isn't the same. The needs may not be the same. So you may engineer a product for the needs of the early adopters, but they may be sophisticated users who demand lots of features and so forth. You've actually over-engineered the product for the mainstream, and you've expanded too much in the wrong direction. And, and again, um, it's once once you've committed to one direction, it's hard to pivot to another one. It takes time and it, it takes money. All right. So those, so those are, are the, the three patterns yeah. that hobble uh, early stage startups. There are three more that you know can hobble late stage startups. A speed trap, help wanted, cascading miracles. We'll let readers uh, pick up the book and, and get through those themselves. But I want to ask, what does your research show about what enables entrepreneurs to best handle failures? Boy, um, you, you see um, two extremes, and, and the entrepreneurs who best handle failure avoid these two extremes. One extreme is the entrepreneur who blames everybody but themselves. Um, my co-founder dropped the ball. My investor pushed me to follow the wrong strategy. The regulators changed the rules of the game. The competitor did something crazy. And those entrepreneurs, um, some of those things may be true, um, but you picked the co-founder, you picked the investor, so, so the entrepreneur always has some responsibility for the outcome, and this entrepreneur hasn't learned anything. Uh, and it's quite likely they'll um, try it again, and they'll make the same mistakes. They'll ride right over the cliff um, uh, following the same pattern. The other extreme is just the opposite. This is the founder, the entrepreneur who beats herself up blames herself for every mistake. I I never should have been an entrepreneur. I'm really badly suited for the role. I made so many mistakes. I will never do this again. And that's probably not true either. I mean, there are some people who are just not suited to be entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. but it's usually the case that um, 
the, the, there's some combination of misfortunes, other people's mistakes, your mistakes, and it's a shame. Society loses the opportunity for these entrepreneurs to go off and build something that could that could create jobs and could help people. So the idea is find the space in the middle where you get some distance from the failure and really can learn from it, take responsibility from it, and then and then be able to explain to people who are going to work with you, either as investors or employees, in the next venture, um, what you've learned from that. So th- th- those, are, those, are the, those are the best founders. Walk some line between uh, being reflective and taking on accountability and being self-critical then. How do you know when it's time to call it quits? You said some people are just not meant to be entrepreneurs. So how does an entrepreneur know when it's time to really you know, move out of the game? Yeah, Michelle, this is so hard. It's the hardest thing because an entrepreneur has so many things they need to try before they shut down the business. You want to try to sell it. You want to try to raise more money. You want to try to pivot with a new strategy. And you have to play out all of those moves. And then, and, and then other people are depending on you. Your employees, they get their livelihood, right? Their, their pay comes from your company. They're counting on you. you investors had faith in you. So that, and, and an entrepreneur's self-image is somebody who's persistent, right? So if you give up, if you throw in the towel, um, then are you really a great entrepreneur? So many, many pressures to keep going. And a lot of the entrepreneurs that I spoke to said they really wished they had shut down sooner. Uh, that, that the chance of a turnaround was vanishingly small, that they could have, um, their employees, they and their employees could have gone on to other projects. They could have given some money back to the investors, you know, not all their money, but some money. And so um, how to know, well, when you're out of moves um, is, is really, um, but, but so often just the entrepreneur, if they've lost the passion, if they hate their job, I mean, most entrepreneurs just sort of get up and run to work in the morning um, if you dread if you dread going to work, um, if it's destroyed your personal relationships, um, it's time. If you hate your job, it's time to cut your losses. Got it. <laughs> Is there anything in this book that will help investors assess which startups are likely to fail and which are likely to succeed? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I mean, investors are more. I mean, some investors will invest early um, as angel investors in or venture capitalists in very early stage companies. But most of your listeners are, are probably going to invest um, in later stage startups that are in the public markets. Right. Um, you, you, you mentioned the list of, um, of companies I've worked with. One is right around the corner from you. Anthony Tan at Grab was my student. Um, oh, really? And, and uh, we are so proud of, of what he's accomplished. What was he like in class? Yeah. Uh, he was a good student, uh, very smart. He had the idea for, for Grab all the way back. You know, it was... Uh, I guess ten years ago at Harvard Business School. So, mm-hmm. and it was fantastic to watch him um, take the idea and move it forward. And you know, we sort of every year it's a little bigger. And you know, the, the, the Uber merger and so forth. It's just been very exciting. So, yeah. So, so for companies like that, um, you know, these 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 are the late stage patterns you want to watch out for. Um, it is the company as it grows. Um, are the economics improving or deteriorating, right? Some companies can harness economies of scale and they get bigger, their costs will come down and, and their pricing power will improve and so forth. In other, in other companies, it's harder and harder to get new customers and, and so they have to lower their price, their costs will come up, their marketing expenses will go up. So the speed trap is all about you know, basically can you sustain the growth profitably 
and in a in a um, in a public company, um, a good a good equity analyst will be able to sort of see these trends and spot them. And then inside the company, um, the, the growth often puts lots of pressures that can lead to um, quality problems, service problems. It's just hard to if if you're growing 50% a year, 100% a year, to hire that many people and train them and and and, and coordinate all their work. If there is one thing, Professor, about learning from failure that you want an entrepreneur listening in to keep front of mind, what would that be? Um, I I think the most important thing is there's so much advice for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And and some of it, most of it is very good. I mean, be passionate, um, focus, grow, um, and and be frugal. Um, and, And this advice if you follow it blindly, can actually lead to some of the failure patterns I talk about in the book. Um, you know, growing too fast. The, 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 um, the, the desire to grow um, can lead you to skip the research and fall victim to the false start. Being too frugal can keep you from hiring the expert, the specialist, who, who actually can get your operations under control. So the, the advice is basically just... We want we tell entrepreneurs to trust their gut, and, and that's often an asset and a good idea. But they, entrepreneurs need to slow down and think and think twice and talk to people who understand them and their business and and and, uh, and be a little slower when making decisions. Um, it's, speed is not always an advantage. Great meeting you and speaking with you, Professor Eisenman. Thank you for taking us through your book. Thank you very much, Michelle. He is the Howard H. Stevenson Professor of Business Administration at Harvard Business School and the author of the book that we're reading today, The Fail Safe Startup. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.